What does God look like? This is a question that was posed to me by a young member of our church. While we don't know the specific details, we are given hints at Scripture of what God looks like. Join us for this two-part edition as we take a look at a bigger picture asking what does heaven look like. On part one, you will hear about what does Jesus look like in heaven as well as what God looks like on his throne. Join us for this special edition on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. about the glorified body we talked a lot about heaven already but today we want to look at um, actually what's going to be a series within a series I started this message uh, a couple of weeks ago and I know once I get to about three pages of notes that's enough for one message if I go much over three pages of notes then I know that it's going to go well past 30 minutes or so when I got six pages of notes, I thought, well, I might ought to break this thing into two. <laughs> we're going to be here a long time. So uh, we're going to uh, take a look at a few uh, snapshots that we see in heaven uh, of some of the things we're going to see in heaven. That's the big question. And uh, this message actually came from Nina. Uh, Nina asked a wonderful question several weeks ago asking, what does God look like? You know, we've seen pictures of God, but what does God look like? And so uh, that's a good question. You know, what, what's heaven going to look like? That's a good question. So this week and next week, we're going to take a look at some snapshots that the book of Revelation gives us as it pertains to heaven, some of the scenes that we're going to see in heaven. So everybody who can and is able, please stand with us as we pay honor to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Now, uh, as what we're going to do this week and next week again is we're going to look at some scenes that we see in heaven. This week we're going to look at what Jesus looks like in heaven and what God the Father looks like in heaven. And then next week we're going to look at some of the citizens you're going to see in heaven. Who are some of the people you're going to see there? Human beings, yes, but you're also going to see some wild-looking angels around the God, God's throne. We're going to see that next week. We're also going to take a look at heaven itself. Uh, what can we expect in heaven itself? So today we're going to look at a couple of snapshots, first beginning in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. And as we're going through this, picture yourself being John. John the Apostle 
has been excommunicated by Rome. They've sent him off on the Isle of Patmos. He's off on this, Isle of pa- on this island by himself. And imagine if you're John seeing what he describes here. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit of the Lord's uh, spirit on the Lord's day which happened on Sunday. This is the Lord's day, Sunday which happened on a Sunday. Uh, so uh, so he's on the Isle of Patmos and uh, on the Lord's day uh, come, uh, uh, heard, hears a voice behind me in a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches that are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Not the Philadelphia that just won the Super Bowl, a different Philadelphia. Uh, just a different Philadelphia, just to, just to clarify. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and here is Christ in all of His grandeur. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of these seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to His feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band, or a sash. His head and hair were white like wool, and white as snow. His eyes like the flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if furnished in a, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is of the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, which is a biblical way of saying he passed out. <laughs> After seeing this, he passed out. He fell as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And let's also now turn to chapter 4. What you see in chapter 2 and chapter 3 are, are these messages that Jesus gives to the seven churches to which this book is addressed. But he picks up in chapter 4. And he, after these things, after Jesus gives him this message to give to the seven churches in Asia Minor, we see, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And the one sat on the throne, this is God the Father, and he who sat there was like jasper and a a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne of God proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps on fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, which itself means indicates the Holy Spirit of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. And we'll talk about that coming up next week. So, dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. 
We ask, Lord, as we go through this passage of Scripture, as we think and contemplate on what your appearance will be like in heaven, and obviously all the words that we have pale in comparison to your grandeur and to your glory. But we just ask, Lord, for our finite minds that you would fill us with your infinite truths, Lord, and allow us to see these glorious truths as documented by your servant, John the Apostle. And we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Pam told me a story. Pam Folk told me a story the other week, and I had to share this. This is too good not to. So this little girl, she's probably at kindergarten, first grade, somewhere along in there. And I think she's in Sunday school, I believe the story goes. And, and the Sunday school teacher had the kids draw a picture from the Bible, draw someone from the Bible or a scene from the Bible. And so the little girl, she, she commences herself to start drawing this picture. And the teacher comes up to the little girl and says, Young lady, what are you drawing? It doesn't look like anything I've ever seen. What are you drawing? And the little girl says, Well, I'm drawing God. And the teacher says, Well, honey, no one, looks like, no one knows what God looks like. To which the little girl responds, well, they will here in a few minutes after I get done with my picture. Everybody will see what God looks like afterwards. While the teachers write that no one knows precisely what God looks like, God has himself given us snapshots of himself throughout Scripture. We see John the Revelator had some snapshots of what to expect, what God the Father would look like, what Jesus himself looks like in the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Uh, and even Ezekiel, he saw a, a vision of God himself as these mysterious angels, these cherubim, which we're going to talk about next week. Those are wild, folks. I'm going to tell you, these are wild-looking angels. Uh, a lot of us see those little cherubs as being these uh, chubby, little winged, naked babies. They don't look anything like chubby, winged, naked babies. Let me tell you, they look wild. And we're going to talk about that coming up next week. But, uh, but he gives us snapshots of his glory, snapshots of what to expect when we get there. And a lot of this is apocalyptic literature. And what this means is, is John uses symbols to describe the things he sees. Now, did Jesus literally have a sword coming out of his mouth? That'd be pretty cool if it was like a lightsaber or something. Like, you know, something like that. Did he literally have a sword coming out of his mouth? No. There's something else going on that John is describing in this depiction. So we're going to take a look at this as we go through today. So what will heaven look like? We're going to take a look at the first two scenes. We're going to look at the scene of the Son, being the Son of God, being Jesus Christ. And then we're going to look at the source, being God the Father. What does God the Father look like? When we see Him in heaven, folks, I'm going to tell you, it's an absolutely mind-boggling thing when we stop and think about what God looks like, what an amazing thing it is. First of all, let's take a look at chapter 1, verses 9 through 18, and take a look at the scene of the sun. Now let me just, just, just think about this for a moment. What are the two big celebrations we as Christians celebrate? Easter and Christmas. Now think about where our minds go during these two celebrations when we think of Jesus. Christmas time, Jesus is an innocent little baby in a manger, is he not? Poor Mary and, and, and Joseph, you know, they couldn't find a room for him to be born. So Jesus was born the meekest of ways in a, in a stable, in a manger. Isn't that what we you know, celebrate? 
Well, think about Easter time. What do we think of when we think of Easter? Resurrection, absolutely. But don't our minds go to Jesus hanging on the cross, beaten and battered and bloodied? Is, is his flesh just ripped open and, and he's, he's dying for our sins? When we think of Jesus at Christmas time and we think of Jesus at Easter, our minds usually depict Jesus in a state of weakness. Can I share a little insight with you this morning? When you see Jesus, he's not going to be weak. Amen? He's not going to be a little babe in a manger. He's not going to be a man hanging on a cross. This guy is going to be full of power and glory and strength and majesty. And it's going to boggle your minds. Amen? Come on, say it again. Amen? Amen. This Jesus is not in a tomb. This Jesus has been risen from the dead. This Jesus is on high, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And when you see this Jesus, this guy is not a man to be trifled with. This man is the Son of Almighty God. Look at how John describes them. Number one, we see first and foremost the Son's unity. Notice Jesus is walking around the seven golden lampstands. Now what are these seven golden lampstands? This reference actually looks back to another vision that Zechariah has of, of this, this son, this man walking along the myrtle trees. In that instance, the myrtle trees represented the people of God. In this case, the seven golden lampstands actually represent the church. We are the lampstands. We are, the, we are part of that seven golden lampstands that we see that Jesus has. So Jesus is not one. And then think about this as we talk about his other attributes. What an amazing thing this is. Jesus is not separated from us in heaven. You know how a lot of times if a president comes, man, he's got the secret service there. There's a barricade of people. Man, you can't get close to the president, can you? You know, a high-ranking official comes. You can't get anywhere close to that official. You're not going to have to worry about that with Jesus. Jesus is walking among the seven golden lampstands, which means that you are united with Jesus. I am united with Jesus. He is walking in our midst. He, he's not going to be someone who is going to be antisocial and never meet with anyone. He is someone that you can speak with, you can communicate with, someone who is going to be by your side in heaven. Man, can you just imagine that? Can you just imagine that? Being able to spend all of eternity speaking with the Son of God and Him taking the time to be with you. Now think about Jesus when He was on earth. Most rabbis didn't want to have anything to do with kids. They were a nuisance, most rabbis thought. But what did Jesus say? Allow the children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. Jesus took time with women. He took time with children. He took time with the oppressed. He took time with the poor. He took time with the impoverished. He took time with lepers. Friends, if He took time with the least among us on earth, can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven as He is going to spend His time with us in heaven? When we get to heaven, we'll enjoy the full fellowship of Christ. He will not be inaccessible. He will walk among us as our shepherd, as our king, and as our friend. Amen? We also see the Son's authority. Oh my goodness, I'm telling you. It, this is powerful stuff here. We see several symbols attributed to Jesus Christ. Notice that He has this golden sash back in verse 13. Gold is the color of divinity. It's also a, 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 the color of authority. In some traditions, uh, yellow or gold is, is only hung during two times of the year to celebrate, celebrate Christmas and Easter, the holiest days of the year. Uh, Jesus is, is, is uh, clothed with this golden sash wrapped around his chest, indicating his high-ranking position. 
Verse 14, we also notice another attribute of Jesus, which I find this very fascinating. I also find it fascinating about this little, this little painting back here, this portrait. If you turn the lights off, the eyes seem like they glow. And I've been in here before. If you ever come in here and I'm by myself and you see me walking around here, it's pretty cool because it seems like the eyes follow you. It's like the eyes have this, this flame of fire about them. You know, that's really a biblical thing if you think about it. Because Jesus is said to have eyes as a flame of fire. Fire is the symbol of God's presence. It's also the symbol of His purifying uh, judgment that He has upon us. He refines us like fire, even His own children. He puts us through the fires of testing to refine us, to make us into the image of Christ. But Jesus is said to have eyes like fire, which means when you see Jesus, He doesn't buy into false pretenses. Amen? He doesn't buy into bribes. He doesn't buy into anything like this. I get so sick and tired. Our good police officers, they work hard to apprehend uh, these criminals. And so many times, the the criminals go before the judges and the judges will turn them loose. Not going to happen with Jesus. He has eyes like the flames of fire, which means that he can look at a person and see and penetrate to the very depths of their soul. That's intimidating if you really think about it because you can't hide anything from Jesus. That means this, the eyes of Jesus are one that can look at you and know everything about you from the time you were born to the time that you died and everything in between. There's no monkey business with Jesus in the sense that you can't tell Jesus a lie and him think that it's true. He can see right through us to the depths of our soul, meaning that he has the authority to cast a just judgment. Verse 15, his voice is as cascading waters indicating the authority of his words, that when he speaks, his words are truth. And we also see this mysterious sword coming from his mouth indicating that when Jesus speaks, things happen. That he has the perfect power by his spoken word to speak a word and it happened because he has just judgment. Can I get an amen? Jesus is not going to buy into all of these things we hear about in society. He's not going to buy into all these false pretenses we hear about in society. He's not going to buy into all these excuses that we see in society. Jesus is going to be able to cast a perfect and good judgment as he knows everything about us from the day we were born to the time that we pass into his glorious kingdom. He has eyes like fire. He has a voice like cascading waters. And his word is like a two-edged sword. While Jesus is very loving, we have to absolutely remember something. That Jesus has the power to judge. He has the authority to judge, and His judgment is perfect. So while we appreciate Jesus' loving nature, we must also remember that He has also been deemed the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that's the highest position anyone could ever hold. We also see the Son's purity. We see His white hair and clothing. Now, there's nothing wrong with having white hair, amen? Now, I only heard one. Can I get an amen? That's still weak. There's nothing wrong with having white hair, amen? All right, that's better there. Now, do I think this is literal in this sense? Probably not. I think what this is talking about is the absolute purity that Jesus has. Do you know, if you have gray hair, that's something to celebrate? Can I get another amen? (laughs) Biblically speaking, having gray hair is a sign of wisdom. Having gray hair is a (laughs) sign... I don't know what's going on back there. I'm going to leave that alone. Having 
Having gray hair is a sign of wisdom. It's a sign of maturity. So with Jesus' hair being white like wool, white like snow, that means he is absolutely wise. He is absolutely pure. His clothing radiates this white uh, color as well. So this means that you can absolutely trust what Jesus says. That he is absolutely holy. He is absolutely trustworthy. We also see the son's supremacy. I mean, i got to move on. We're, just, we're not even halfway through. The son's supremacy. Notice here that Jesus' feet is said to be like fine bronze as it's fired in a furnace. Now me, I'm half Irish. I'm pasty white. I go out in the sunlight for any length of time, I turn into a lobster. I become as red as Steve's shirt over there. It's, it's really bad. But Jesus, I have to understand, he had this beautiful Middle Eastern olive complexion. Amen? This beautiful olive complexion to his skin. And, and, and the light of God's glory shining through him made his skin appear like bronze. But there's something else going on here. Bronze is a symbol of strength. Bronze being an alloy of copper and tin, stronger than both, was used for armor, for shackles, for symbols, and for gates. Bronze was known for its incredible strength. So when we see Jesus having feet like bronze, it means that his power is immeasurable. It means that he is not that babe lying in a manger any longer. He's not the man dying on a cross, but he is filled with honor and glory and power and that his strength is something that no one could match. So when we talk about this Jesus as he is right now, we're talking about a Jesus filled with awesome power and strength, amazing holiness. And folks, I'm going to tell you what. I wouldn't want to fall on his bad side. Amen? I wouldn't want to find myself on the bad side of Christ. Number two, we see not only the, the Son, but we see the source. Again, this goes back to the question, what does God look like? What does God the Father look like? Well, man, I'm going to tell you, it gets pretty amazing in chapter 4 is where we are. We're going to look at the first six verses. We see six attributes of the source, meaning God the Father's uh, presence. We see six attributes pertaining to, his, uh, pertaining to His presence, pertaining to His being. First of all, we see the source's power. Now, I have to make a correction on the notes there. I had Jasper listed as being a red stone. Actually, I don't think that's the case any longer. Jasper, the problem with Jasper is that it comes in many different colors. And I've done an investigation on this, and if you joined us on the Facebook uh, group last week, uh, you're, you're a leg ahead of the game here because... What I found is that uh, Ezekiel and some other passages of Scripture, even in Exodus, that the throne of God is said to be this beautiful blue color, like lapis lazuli. And man, I had to do it. I had to do it, Caleb. I had to see if I can find it. I had to go out and buy me a piece of lapis lazuli. This is a piece of lapis lazuli. Look at that beautiful blue color. This beautiful blue color. This jasper color, it, it can come into a blue color. Paige Patterson believes that, uh, that, uh, that John is probably talking about like a blue diamond of sorts. And so from the very innermost portion of God's presence, you have this beautiful blue hue coming out. Go on YouTube and look and see what a uh, uh, nuclear reactor looks like when it's fired up. It's this beautiful blue color. I thought it was going to be green because you hear about the Incredible Hulk, how he was supposedly... Exposed to gamma radiation, turned into this big green monster. No, it's this beautiful blue color. And, and it just radiates this power. And so within this presence, this, I think we see this blue, di this blue diamond-like uh, substance coming from the throne of God and then out from uh, 
past the innermost portion of God's throne, you see this carnelian stone, which is this beautiful red color. Now, I think this matches what we find in other passages of Scripture because the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 4.24 that the Lord your God is a consuming fire. The same thing is said in Hebrews 12.29. So it's no surprise that when God appeared to Moses in a burning bush in Exodus 3.12, He was also the pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, leading the Israelites, fire is shown to be like God's presence. And when you look at the innermost portion of a fire, what color do you see? This bluish hue. And out from it you see this red color coming out. So when you're seeing God, you're seeing power personified. You think of the greatest power. I mentioned a nuclear reactor. You think of the greatest power on earth. It's not a drop in a bucket compared to the power of God. This is amazing power, and this also describes why we cannot see God right now because we would literally disintegrate before the awesome power of God Almighty. Number two, we see the source's infinity shining forth from God's throne. There's this circle of the rainbow. By the way, if you go up in an airplane and you see a rainbow, guess what you see? You see a rainbow coming in a circle. Rainbows are naturally circular. The only reason we don't see a rainbow as being circular is that the land blocks off the bottom half of it. But he sees from the presence of God's throne this light shining around like a rainbow. And it has on the outer skirts of this this rainbow this emerald hue to it. Now, the color green, emeralds are green by the way, the color green has symbolic importance too. Green is the color of eternity. It's the color of everlasting life. For instance, if you go out and you see a cedar or you see an evergreen tree, guess what? They remain green all year long. Whether it snows, they're still green. Whether it's warm, they're still green. doesn't matter if it's icy outside, they're still green. This emerald hue depicts the eternal nature of God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the Alpha, He is the Omega, He's the beginning and the end. He's also the Beta, Gamma, and you fill in the blanks all the way through the end. God is everything. He's before the beginning, He's before the end. He has no beginning, He has no end. Which tells us also that when God tells us to wait upon Him, His timetable may not be the same as ours. Amen? We may be praying for something to happen, but it may not be God's timing for it to happen just right then. Wait upon the Lord. The third thing we see is the source's faithfulness. We see that from God's presence there is this rainbow encircling His throne. I think He attributes this to a rainbow. I think from God's source you're seeing all types of colors due to His amazing light coming from His presence. I think you see every color imaginable and even some that we don't even know about because the amazing presence of God. But you see this you see this. Uh, rainbow. I don't think it's a mistake that John adds the rainbow to this description. Because what he does is he is bringing us back to the faithful nature of God. Do you remember in, after Noah's Ark, the Bible tells us that God put a rainbow up in the air. Do you remember that? Do you remember what that was for? Absolutely. It was a covenant agreement said that he would never again destroy the earth by water, but the next time would be by fire. And isn't it interesting that fire is, describes the presence of God? It may mean that God's coming on the scene and he's going to take care of everything himself. That may be what that means, don't know. But nevertheless, this rainbow shows the 
promise that God has that He is faithful. So when He makes a promise to you, guess what? He's going to keep it. In fact, I heard a story of this uh, pastor who went to uh, visit with this uh, elderly gentleman. And the, and the gentleman was in the hospital and, and he was uh, suffering this ailment that was taking his life. And, and death was only just ba- basically not far from that point. And the older man, he had been a Sunday school teacher, and, and he told the pastor, he says, Pastor, the most difficult thing I'm having in all this is I can't remember the promises of God. I want to reflect back upon the promises of God. My mind's not working right with this, this disease, and I can't think, I can't remember the promises of God. And the pastor, inspired by God himself, says, Well, sir, do you think God's forgotten? As long as God remembers His promises, that's all that really matters. Because God's going to be faithful to His promises. Just trust that He remembers them all and and trust that He's going to come through for you. And at that time, that that gentleman was able to rest in God's presence and not long after that passed into His presence. God is faithful in all that He does. We see also the source's judgment, God Almighty's judgment. Notice that from His throne... You see all these colors beaming out from God's presence. This rainbow encircling His throne. But it gets even more interesting. There are flashes of lightning bursting forth from God's presence. I'm talking about sheer energy coming from God's presence. Lightning flashing. This describes the, uh, the ability of God to cast perfect judgment. That His reach is never so far that He cannot reach to us, both by His grace and also by His judgment. Many of you know the story of, my, uh, of God bringing me back in the ministry. I was back in the, in the outbuilding, and I have some weightlifting equipment out there. I was out there, I had a good workout, and I thought, man, I feel good. And God had been impressing upon my heart for many years, or for, for quite some time, many months at least, that I needed, that He had something for me to do. And I knew what He wanted me to do. He wanted me to go back in the ministry. And I said, Lord, I'll do anything but that. <laughs> Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, don't want to do it again. And the Lord was pressing upon my heart, I want you back in the ministry. Well, guess what happened? I go out there in the building, have a good workout, finish it up, and out of nowhere there comes this storm with lightning like I have never seen since. It was flashing all around. People ask me, well, why didn't you run to the house? I couldn't. It was flashing outside the building. I go out there, bam, boom, bing. It's flashing all over the place. So I'm looking, scattering in that building, and I see this metal weightlifting equipment. Oh, that's not going to work. I see this lawnmower. Well, that's not going to work. I see this metal chair. Oh, that's not going to work. Where in the world do I go? So I'm stuck at this point in time, and I'm literally like this thing, Lord, get me out of here. I don't know what I'm doing. And lightning is flashing all around. This is a true story. Thirty minutes go by. God gives me His presence and peace. I exit that building. There's no reason whatsoever why I should have walked out of that building because behind the building, there was a place where the lightning hit with a hole that big behind the building. It's a miracle that I made it out that day. But as quickly as the storm came, the storm left. Lightning is a symbol of God's judging capacity. I left that building saying, all right, Lord, you win. And he did win because look where I'm at now. Amen? That's, you know, someone asked, well, what happened? Well, I'm here right now. Uh, so God won out. So don't play games with God. That's one thing he taught me. Don't play games with God. 
But we also see the source's personality. We see the seven burning spirits representing the Holy Spirit. That this, this powerful God is very personal. And finally, we see the sea like glass. This, this is a powerful thing. We, we could talk a lot about this, but we don't have time to do so. We're running out of time. This depicts the source's holiness. The ocean is often depicted, the sea itself is often depicted in ancient times as being a place of uncertainty, a place of chaos. If you've ever been caught in a storm while out in the ocean, you know what they're talking about. That ocean can toss you to and fro in every which way past Friday. Anywhere, anywhere it wants to send you, it can send you. But the depiction of the sea of glass before God's throne means that He can take any disorder and bring peace. That in God's presence, there is perfect peace. Isn't that amazing? There is no chaos. There is no disorder. There is no disunity. Before God's presence, there is perfect peace. It also depicts His absolutely perfect holiness. So when we see God's presence... You know, we, we can think of, you know, in the universe and in the world itself of all of these different storms, and you may be going through a storm in your life, figuratively speaking, even today. But you think of all the massive storms that have hit in the U.S. Think of the hurricanes that have hit the eastern seaboard and in the Gulf of Mexico and all around the world. You may even think of uh, that big giant red spot on Jupiter, which is a massive storm. Wouldn't you hate to be caught up in that thing? You know, it's a massive hurricane that's, that's floating around on this planet Jupiter. You think of all of these things going on in the universe. None of that is even close to the power that God has. So if He can create that massive red spot on Jupiter, and He can create all the universe, don't you think He's big enough to take care of your problems? Can I get an Amen. You may be going through a lot of stuff today, but understand this God is bigger than your problems. This God is bigger than anything that you're going through in life. And what this tells us also is that when we get to heaven, man, alive are we in for a treat. Right now, we cannot stand before the awesome presence of God. But one day, when we're escorted into the presence of God, we will be able to finally see... And I don't even know how close we can even get even then. I'm beginning to wonder. But we're going to see the awesome presence of God in all of His grandeur and all of His glory. And I think there's another attribute we should mention here in all of His beauty. Because when you think of the description that we, just, we were just given in the book of Revelation, God is absolutely the most beautiful thing you will ever see, ever, period. Let me close with this one word. Dr. Stephen Gaines, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, said, and I think this is an appropriate way to end. He says, when we really think, when we really think about this, I think Dr. Stephen Gaines' word really goes in precisely with what we're saying. He says, I'm a nobody who loves somebody, who died for everybody, and who can save anybody. Aren't you glad of that? Let me say it again. I'm a nobody who loves somebody, capital S, who died for everybody, and who can save anybody. When you think of the glorious presence of God, it is absolutely remarkable that He loves someone and something as insignificant as myself. I mean, what are we compared to God? What are we compared to? We're smaller than a mosquito compared to God. But God loved us so much that He left the throne of heaven 
That he said, I'm go- I love you so much that I am going to take your sin upon my back to give you open access to my heaven. Friend, it's not that we work towards heaven. You can't get there by your own works. It's a gift that God has given you that he loved you so much. And friend, I don't know what you're dealing with, but if we can focus upon the love that God has for us and the awesome presence that he has for us, man, I'm going to tell you what, heaven <laughs> gets a lot more interesting. Amen? It gets a whole lot more beautiful. And it's not anything to fear or dread. It's absolutely something to look forward to. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you don't know whether or not your, your soul has been saved, you don't know whether or not heaven will be yours, I want to encourage you to come down this, down this aisle, kneel before this altar, and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy, and heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, he will not cast out. So if, you, if, you, if you're not sure of your eternal destination, I would just encourage you to come today and receive the, receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and God. He will give you a ticket, <laughs> a punch ticket to this very place that we've been describing. And we're going to describe again next week. The kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. And we thank you, Lord, for this snapshot that we have of your awesome presence. And Lord, even our words, when we, when we start to try to describe you, even our words fail. Because you're so much greater than even the words that we have to even offer, to even try to describe you. Even our words aren't adequate enough. Not even the greatest words we could muster up are, are even good enough to describe your awesome presence. So Lord, we just want to thank you for loving us as you do. And we just ask, Lord, that you would have your will and your way in this time of invitation. Maybe there's someone here today struggling with some issue. I just ask, Lord, that they would just lay that issue, whatever it may be, before your throne. I hope that through this, through this message that they see that you're greater than any problem that they ever have. Maybe there's someone here today that, that has some issues that they just need to lay before, maybe give to you, Lord, and give you fully and completely. We just ask that you would do that, that you would move them. Maybe there's someone who'd like to come down and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever you want to do, Lord, we just ask that you have your will and your way this time. expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.
Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read, one that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth. Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to true north the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of bellatorchristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today. Life. Liberty. And the pursuit of happiness. Our great nation was built on these simple principles. So was our university. Find your greatness at Liberty. Online or on campus, discover more at liberty.edu. It's the difference between a job and a career.